that you loved it, uh, us enough to pay it all. Without you, we are nothing. And yet with your grace, we are. Your grace is sufficient. God, we thank you so much for the preparation and proclamation of this word today. We pray that you would bless it. May you be glorified. May your people be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the text that Dr. Harris read. And I'm just going to read one verse from that text, verse 20. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let me just add verse 21 there. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able. I want to preach this morning from the subject God is able. If you believe that, would you say that with me? God is able. No matter what we go through, no matter what we face, God is able. Amen. And that ought to be that ought to be the fuel for our fire every day, knowing that God is able. Our text today is part of a prayer Paul prayed on behalf of the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. And Paul prayed that the church at Ephesus would be strengthened by the power of God. And he also prayed that that, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, in the hearts of the of the people, that they would be rooted and established in love, that they would have an intense love for God and an intense love for each other. And, and he also prayed that they would grasp the, the height and the depth of God's love for them. And, and that, that's the pastor's prayer for the people that the people of God will be strengthened by God. We, we live in a day and a time when we really need to be strengthened by God, by God's power. Um, he prayed that Christ would continue to dwell in their hearts. Uh, that's our prayer because there's so much falling away today from, from biblical truth and from Christian morals and values and, and ethics. Paul prayed and we prayed that you would be rooted and established in love for God and each other. Not a superficial love, not a puppy love, not a fly-by-night love, but a deep, intense love for God and each other. And, and then Paul prayed and we prayed that, that the people of God would, would grasp the height and depth of God's love for them. That is, to understand how much God really loves you. In fact, when you understand how much God really loves you, that changes your whole perspective on life. When you understand that, how much God loves you, enough to send Jesus Christ to suffer and bleed and die for our sins. Now, after Paul prayed this, this prayer on behalf of the people, he writes this benediction. And this is a powerful, 
powerful, powerful benediction. This has become one of my life verses. Paul wrote in this benediction, this closure of chapter 3, if you will, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, not for a little while, but Paul said forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul skillfully weaves verse 20 together in a way that connects his readers, get this, with who God is as well as what God does. Paul is a skillful writer. Paul is a deep thinker, a skillful writer, a brilliant theologian. He he weaves verse 20 together in a way that connects his readers, connects you and me with who God is as well as what God does. Because we need to understand who God is, but we also need to get in touch with what God does. And so notice his proficiency in drawing his readers into what I call the isness of God. He uses three words now unto him. The word him in the text is used by God to describe the awesome nature of God. Now, there are, there are several Hebrew names that I just want to mention uh, today uh, uh, that are used to express the awesome nature of God. Because when you look at it, God is the only, only being that is awesome. I mean, we assign awesome to everything. I mean, we, you know, the chicken was awesome and the sweet potatoes were awesome, and I got a new car, and that's, that's awesome, and the football player is awesome, and the basketball player is awesome, but I have come to the conclusion that the only awesome one is God. And let me just walk through several of these Hebrew, he, Hebrew names. I just want to throw this out. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I just know how to do research. Amen? All right. There are several Hebrew names for, for God used to express his awesome nature. First, there is the name Elohim. Elohim occurs 2,570 times in the Old Testament times, 32 of those times in the book of Genesis. And Elohim means God who is creator and judge of the universe. That's awesome. And and you can see why in, in Genesis 32 times that God is the creator. And not only does God create, but God judges. Secondly, there's the name El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty and God All-Sufficient by himself. That's awesome. Do you know anybody else like that? Do do you know anybody else who is almighty and all-sufficient, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent? That's awesome. God is awesome. El Shaddai appears 41 times in the Old Testament, 31 times in the book of Job. And when you look at Job's life and what God did in and through Job's life, you can't help but shout hallelujah, God is awesome. And thirdly, there's Adonai, which means master or Lord. That is, God owns everything, and everything belongs 
to him, Adonai, is used over 300 times in the Old Testament and always plural when referring to God. Each of these Hebrew names for God communicates to us the reality of God, of our God who is superior, supreme, and sovereign. That's awesome, isn't it? He is magnificent. He is marvelous, and he is matchless. All right, all right. Let me see if I can help somebody here. God is stunning. He is splendid. He is spectacular. Oh, I think y'all getting the picture now. Am I right about it? All right, all right. He is unequal. There's nobody like him. He is unparalleled. Nobody on his level. God is unfailing. God will never let you down. Oh, God is paramount. God is preeminent. And God is peerless. In other words, our God really is an awesome God. That's what Paul is conveying to the Ephesians, and that's what Paul is conveying to us today. We serve an awesome God. We ought to be excited about that. Nobody in here ought to be sitting around worrying about when the Lord is coming back and worrying about all the stuff that goes on around us because God is an awesome God. After Paul establishes the idea of God being an awesome God, he strategically moves to another concept and delights his readers with the fact that that not only is God an awesome God, get this, Paul says God is also an action God. Help me somebody. So now what you have is not only a God who is awesome, but a God who takes action. Oh, I like that, don't you? Notice the word in the text. Paul wrote, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, the idea is that here is a God who has the ability to exceed our expectations. Are you walking with me today? Here is a God who has the ability. He's not only awesome, but he has the ability to exceed our expectations. And not only that, Paul goes so far as to say, and he exceeds our expectation in copious, plentiful, bountiful fashion. I kind of think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, I have come to give you life. And life more abundantly. That's copious life. That, that's plentiful life. That's life in uh, abundance. That's not a mundane life. That's not a nat- uh, uh, just a natural life. That's not an average life. Well, Paul says that God has the ability to bless us in abundance. Maybe that's what King David had in mind when he wrote these words in Psalm 23. If you you let these words sink, sink in, David said to God, you anoint my head with oil. But, but not only do you anoint my head with oil, God, David says my cup. Oh, yeah, we're going somewhere now. He said, David says my cup runneth 
over. David testifies here that God not only takes action and fills his cup to capacity, but as an added measure of his goodness and as an additional metric of his grace, God keeps on pouring out his blessings all over David until they spill out, until they ran all over him. Is there anybody here this morning? Is there anybody in this sanctuary? Is there anybody under the sound of my voice who can who can testify on this communion Sunday that that God has not only filled your cup, but his blessings are pouring out and running down all over you. Is there anybody who can testify? Is there anybody who can who can testify that, that God has, has, has not, not only blessed me, but his blessings are, are running all over? Is anybody here that can say, you know what, as I as I look around, God has been good to me. I'm, I'm blessed in the city. I'm, I'm blessed in the country. I'm blessed when I come and, and when, when I, I go. I'm, I'm blessed on my job. I got favor on my job. I'm blessed in the church. I'm, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. His blessings are running over. Well, in Luke 6, 28, Jesus elaborates on the matter of blessings running over in, in, in this fashion, Jesus said, give, and it will be given unto you. Yeah. Now, now, then Jesus said, get this now, he said, good measure. Right, right, right. That's all right, isn't it? Yeah. He said, good measure. You know what good measure is? Good measure means significant. Good measure is enough. Good measure is adequate. Do we have any good measure worshipers in the house today? That, that you have sufficient, that you have enough, that you have adequate. You look around and you say, thank you, Jesus. I have sufficient. I have adequate. I have enough. Given to be given to you, Jesus said, good measure. But, but, you know, but you know, he didn't leave it there. He said, press down. Yeah. Isn't that all right? Yeah, he said, Pre-, you know what press down, press down is now you got a little surplus. Yeah, it's like a farmer, you know, you, 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 you meet your demands and you got enough to, to pay your bills and you got enough to, you know, to, to pay off your creditors. But, but now you got a surplus, you got something to put in the barn. That's what he's talking about. Is anybody here, God is blessing you with a surplus? Not only, do you, not only can you make it from week to week, but, but now you got a little something you can put aside. Yeah, yeah, he says... Good measure, that, that's sufficient, that's enough, that's adequate. And then press down, that's surplus, that's ex, uh, extra, that's additional. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, shaking together. Now that's shocking, that's startling, that's, that's stunning, that's spectacular. And then Jesus puts something else in there that really blows our mind. He says, and running over. Is anybody here, your blessings are just... When you're thinking about it, your blessings are just, when, when you got up this morning, you understood that your blessings were just, 
just running over. Listen, when you look around, you can see that your blessings are running over. When you see the conditions of some other folk, you get up and say, thank you, Jesus. My blessings are running over. It's mind-boggling. At this point, somebody ought to be feeling a little bit better. At this point, somebody's burdens ought to be getting just a, a little bit lighter. But just in case they aren't, I want to go just a little deeper. You see, Paul's intent of the text was to help the church at Ephesus come to grip with the truth that no matter what they faced, and they faced some difficult times, no matter what they came up against or who came up against them, Paul wanted them to understand that their God was able to see them through, bring them out, and get them over. Can I get a witness here? Now the same intent of the text uh, holds the same intent that Paul had of the text for the Ephesians holds true for us. The text tells us that in these days of national and international crisis, of political upheaval and social unrest and economic uncertainty, that God is still God. And he is able to make everything work out just right for all his people. Paul reminds us today that God's ability is above and beyond human expectations, exaggerations, explanations, limitations, or even considerations. So it is because God is who he is and because God is able to do what he wants to do, we can sing with confidence the word of the old hymn writer who wrote, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. No matter what goes on from day to day, we ought to proclaim vehemently that on Christ. On Christ, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Can I tell you something? The White House and and Congress, they have their place, but it's all sinking sand. Up in Tallahassee, it's all sinking sand. Our hope ought to be built on Christ. He is. The solid rock. When we get up in the morning, he is the solid rock. When we face the turmoils of the day, God is the solid rock. In Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust, the hymn writer said, the sweetest rain, but holy lean on Jesus' name, his oath, his covenant, and his Blood support me in the whelming flood. And get this, the writer said, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. For it's on Christ. It's on Christ. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. Everything else is sick and sand. Everything else is, is building castles in the sand. Everything else is temporal. Only what we do for Christ will last. Build our hopes on things eternal. 
But now we are living in what is called the postmodern society. But I feel compelled to remind us this morning that since God does not change according to the whimsical impulses of humanity, and because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, his ability never changes. You know what they said about the ability of people, it changes, doesn't it? I, I, I mean, you have folk who reign for a while, but, but things happen, they get sick, things come into their lives, and, and they get weak, and they're no longer able to reign, and they lose their ability. I was in the military, Pastor Stevens, Pastor Joe, uh, they used to tell young officers, now what you want to do is you want to connect your wagon to a star. <laughs> That's what they used to tell us, bro, while they say connect your wagon to a star. You know what they were saying? They were saying you, you get connected somehow or another with a general. It can be a one-star general. If you get connected to that general, that general can pull your career alone. But you know one thing? Most of the generals that I knew in the military, many of them now are dead. And, and, and the truth of the matter, those who aren't dead are long since retired and can do absolutely positively nothing at all for me. But God's ability never changes. The same God who was with me then is with me now. He holds me up. He blesses me. His power never diminishes. God never changes. Oh, he was able in the past. Don't some of y'all, you know that? Don't, don't some of you remember your foreparents, your grandparents, and the people in your neighborhood and how they struggled and how they tried to make it and how they tried to make ends meet, but yet God was there with them. He was there with them in the past. He's able in the present. He will be able in the future to carry us through. In fact, you can study any period of history you choose. By whatever name you choose to research it under. And you will find that God was able. In the Renaissance age, God was able. In the Reformation age, God was able. In the age of reason, God was able. In the Romantic age, God was able. Don't just take, take my word. Go back and check it out. Study doing his. In the age of enlightenment, God was able. In the Victorian age, God was able. In the ages of individualism, industrialization, and urbanization, God was able. In the modern age, God was able, and he is still able in this post, post, post modern age. Well, pastor, what is God able to do? I'm glad you asked. 
God is able to turn tragedy into triumph. God is able to mend broken hearts. Can I get away? Is there anybody here today? Your heart was broken. You were all tore up, all messed up, wondering how you were going to get over. But God has mended your heart, and you're much better off today. God is able to refurbish broken lives, broken lives, people who have lived broken lives. God is able to refurbish those lives. Like the old broken down rocking chair that, that, that was taken off of, 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 of the trash pile and, and that my aunt sent to the refurbishing shop and they redid the upholstery and then they sanded it down and, and varnished it and for many, many years it sat in her house as a beautiful antique but one day it was a piece of junk a piece of garbage on the trash pile and that's how some of us were one day we were a piece of junk People said we would never be anything, never amount to anything, but God refurbished us. And you are here today because God kept you. So you wouldn't let go. I tell you, God is a refurbishing God. He refurbishes broken lives. God is able to restore broken relationships. God is able to revitalize wrecked dreams. God is able to reestablish torn down fellowships. And when life is over down here, God is able to take us safely home. But not only is God an awesome God and God an able God, he's also an action God. Somebody ought to feel like shouting now. Notice the text once again, Paul states, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think to the, according to the power that works in us. Paul lets the newly planted church at Ephesus know that the power of Christ was working in them. What Paul is saying is that God is not like the great clock maker as one philosopher said just created the clock and just left it out there to run on its own. No, Paul reminded the Ephesians church, and Paul reminds us that God is actively involved in human affairs. What that means is that God is all up in the mix of your life. God is attending to the minute details of your life. The people that you meet that bless you, the, 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 the grace that somebody extends, that's all a part of God being involved in your life. Listen, Jesus said not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without God knowing about it. And not only that, even the very hairs on our heads are numbered. God is actively involved in our life. Aren't you glad about it? Can't you say thank you, Jesus? And look at it. When God works in your life, don't pass it off as coincidence. It's God taking care of the minor details of your life. He crosses every T. He dots every I. That's the power of Christ working in us. Yeah, the power of Christ, Paul, will bring out 
to the Ephesians was bringing Jews and Gentiles together. That's, that's action, God. Husbands and wives together, children and parents together, slaves and masters were coming together. The church at Ephesus was growing, developing, and flourishing because God was at work within them. And let me tell you something, nothing of spiritual significance happens in our lives unless God is at work in us. John 15 and 5, Jesus said, I am the vine. Let's get that straight. Let, let's not get that twisted. He said, I am the vine. Now, you are the branches. What he's saying is now, I'm playing first chair. You are playing second chair. I'm the pilot. You are the co-pilot. And if God, you claim, is your co-pilot, you in the wrong seat. You need to change. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man, if a woman, if a person abides in me and I in them, Jesus said, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, you, you, you might be, think you live in large. And you might have your name on the door and you might be driving large. And people might be bowing down and scraping. But Jesus said, if you ain't connected to me, you ain't doing nothing. You building castles in the sand. You know what happens with castles in the sand, don't you? The wind blows, the waves come, the rain falls, people step. And, and, and pretty soon folk will walk along the beach. They don't even know your castle was there. Help me somebody. Jesus said, I, you, I'm the vine, you the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, Jesus said, if you stay connected to me, you got it going on. Don't care what folks say about you. Doesn't matter what they think about you. If you're in the Lord, you got it going on. What Paul declares as I close is that the same power that brought Jesus through the agony of Gethsemane, the pain of Calvary, and the cold, hard grip of the grave is alive in the church today. We're here today celebrating this communion because Jesus is alive, because God is an action God. The same power that ushered Jesus forth on resurrection morning is still working in the church today. And because Jesus lived, it ain't no stopping us now. Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me share something with you. That's a corporate statement, but that's also an individual statement. In other words, Jesus says, if you are in me as an individual, come what may, you will stand. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We'll keep preaching, keep on teaching, keep on praying, keep on singing, keep on shouting. Keep on living for the Lord until one day we'll hear his voice. Say, well done. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Now unto him. I want you to leave there today with that message in your heart and on your mind now. Unto him who is able. He's able, I tell you. If you're sick, God is able. Trouble in your home, God is able. Trouble in your workplace, 